Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time And welcome to the Billboard Charfie Podcast. It is the most wonderful time of the year because Billboard's VP of Charts and Data Development, Silvio Petrolongo, is making his Charfie Podcast debut. It took me long enough, but I'm here. Thank you for having me, Gary. Thank you, Silvio. And if you recognize that clapping and that voice, Keith Caulfield, Billboard's co-director of charts. I'm host of the Pop Shop podcast. That's the Gary. one. I forgot about. That. You have you have a visitor from Los Angeles. Yeah, it's actually not that anyone really cares, but it's we've all worked together now for ten years. This is like the second time we've all been in the same room together. Yeah. And we're like it's like the president and vice president, we you know of the United States. They, they, you know, they we can't, can't be in the same yeah, room. It, yeah, it's, if, we're, if if there's a chart emergency, one of us always has to be available. We need a designated survivor. Yes, yes. But now we are all here together, Gary, and, and, and for, look, just for you, only for you and the Chart Beat Podcast, and, and for chart fans. And, and let that be the last uh, presidential mention we make here mm. on the podcast. I was talking about the TV show, but it's okay. Good save, Silvio. <laughs> well, this is this this should be fun because we get uh, questions from readers all the time about how Billboard charts work and different uh, details about the charts that we don't always get to go into. So let's answer some questions and, and do something we never do: talk about charts among the three of us. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. The first the first question: What is Billboard's motto? I think over the years, I mean, you could go back to 1894 when Billboard started. In some ways, it's so different from what Billboard was at the beginning. In some ways, we're kind of doing the same in the way we cover the entertainment business. Uh, our motto. Our motto is – well, we do have a motto. We do? It's, it's really long. It's like a mission statement. Oh. Uh, we had a, a mission. I don't have it memorized, though. Uh, but it's, it's to capture music popularity in the most current forms of consumer consumption. And – you know, it's something that Billboard has done since its first national chart in 1940 through the years of uh, vinyl and cassettes and... A-track. A-track and CDs and digital downloads, the, the quick and uh, the quick arrival and quick demise of ringtones uh, popularity uh, to now uh, where it's socially, social-based, it's streaming... 
you know, we still have download sales that are still, you know, viable, though they're slowly uh, declining year year to year. Radio still a harbinger of what is a hit. So we, we're capturing all of that and, and the activity that is happening on Facebook and Twitter and and everything that, that plays a part on the, in the social media landscape. Uh, so it's, it's, it's all that and, and there's more to come. So it's, it's a constantly evolving and it's certainly, you know, the past 10 years have certainly, you know, have, have had many different changes, more so than the 30 years prior to that. And we can only expect more to happen. I wonder how cyclical change is. For people who don't know, Billboard started in 1894, and the name Billboard comes from Billboard advertising. It was tracking what was being advertised on billboards when circuses came to town. Yeah, we, did, we didn't cover music. Right. We, we covered actual advertisements on billboards. I would think if you went through the decades when, when sheet music became bigger and then when, when 45s came along, it was billboard teams before us probably went through similar lines of thinking of how everything was changing. Maybe it is more different in, in the last few years with probably, all the, the technology. Yeah, I mean, probably the longest, you know, what we connect to now going back even prior to our first charts in 1940 was live entertainment. You know, yeah. we, we had a lot of vaudeville coverage uh, and, and the like. So, and, and the circuses as, you know, th- that was part of it too. So it was all live entertainment, which is still, you know, which is now is, the biggest money maker for all artists, right? Yeah. So it's almost it's where we began and where we're ending up now as being the main source of how musicians and entertainers can make a viable living. So we're talking about how trends are, are cyclical, saying how well, vinyl to cassette to CD downloads, and with vinyl specifically, it's kind of interesting how that's come back as a niche uh, format, but it's at a really high level now. You never really know what is going to come back. Silvio, you've been here for, for a while. You Does anything still surprise you when you see those kind of trends when something comes back like that? I mean, I, I take that, you know, the vinyl resurgence with, uh, you know, it's sort of a grain of salt. I mean, it's it's up from from totally, you know, from nothing. It's up from it's, nothing. From nothing, right? And, and I mean, but in comparison to everything else, it's still fractional. So it's great to see. It's more the, the you know, the viability of a music format is not what I think is driving the popularity. It's it's the uniqueness of the product, and with traditional sales and that being CDs, you know, going away, you know, uh, the industry labels and artists have, have taken a more you know more conscientious effort to create product that is unique. So there's you know, uh, you know, the vinyl comes with uh, you know great artwork and. Uh, you know, on on heavy stock and there's also something colored to be, vinyl. So there's something so to be said for vinyl that's being sold to young people who never got to experience vinyl the first time around. Mm-hmm. I mean, even even me who is uh, older than uh, the young person that I just quoted, the a, a mysterious young person that purchases vinyl, I barely was around for vinyl. In like, I had like vinyl seven inch forty fives in the eighties, but. I didn't really have that many like long playing albums. I was already onto cassettes as a, as a kid. Right. And then I quickly moved to CDs like in the very late eighties. And so 12 inch vinyl long playing albums were already out. So for me even still to hold a long playing 12 inch vinyl album is a novelty. Yeah. And I think kids and younger people, it's something that they never got to actually experience. So it's a whole, to them, it's a whole new format. 
And it's it's really exciting to them because it's something they can hold. It's tangible. It's an object. It's like also a piece of art. And in and because they've been living in a world for so long that is just nothing but digital and virtual and YouTube where there's nothing to hold on to, it's kind of nice when you can hold on to your favorite artist, but in like this object form. So I think that's why it's coming back so well, and hilariously why cassettes are starting to sell too yeah. because it's 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 kitschy, it's vintage, and it's something they haven't had before. That that that's a format I had not much of an affinity for, except for recording on. I grew but, up on cassettes, but not yeah. You know, the single baby, it's yeah. coming back. Yeah, uh, talk about. Bad sound quality. That was bad sound quality. What do you mean? <laughs> no, I was just in um, Barnes and Noble. That's all they had was vinyl. There were no CDs. Bar- Barnes and Noble is a big Urban seller Outfitter. of vinyl. Urban Outfitters, yeah. Barnes and Noble. Um, I mean, Urban Urban Outfitters is probably, I think, the second biggest seller of vinyl behind Amazon. I mean, it's. I, I mean, we have one right around the corner, and you know, they. I mean, just their window display of vinyl is is impressive. It's, yeah. it, it, it you know catches your eye. Yeah. Uh, Keith, you yes. uh, among other things you do, you manage the Billboard 200. I do. Where are CD sales going? Are they going away? I think, uh, w- uh, well, I don't know if they're going to go away. That's always the evergreen question. I think Sylvia and I were looking up something a couple weeks ago, looking at digital album sales versus CD album sales, and CD album sales still were greater than digital album sales. So um, at that point, at whatever point we looked up, CD sales were still outpacing digital albums, but not by that much. Um, I think after Christmas, we'll see the normal switch and the normal rush to streams and to digital albums. That always happens after people get their Christmas gifts and whatever new devices and goodies they've purchased and gift cards or they've gotten. Um, That always happens. I'm not sure if CDs are going to totally go away because I think um, the format is a very sturdy format. And I think people are going to still want something tangible um, it it may go away at some point in the future, but I think yeah, it's, it's you know, a long it's a long fade. Yeah, I mean, there's so many uh, so many adults are used to playing CDs in their car, and that's the only way they, they don't have a, a, a doohickey to hook it up into their car yet. You know, well, that, that I mean, it's almost like the phone jack disappearing on on the iPhone, and maybe now the Samsung. It's like right. you can you can say they'll play it in their car, but you know how many cars are going to have that right. to play? So it's you know the the manufacturers force the consumer in a certain direction, and either you adapt or, or not. But it, it so that it, that makes it less, it, it makes it less uh, less available places for you to play it. Store retail stores are allowing less space to sell it. Right. So it starts to be coming out of sight, out of mind. So you hope that people just don't stop buying music; that they're able to, you know, move to the platforms that uh, you know they can enjoy it. That's where I wonder where sales overall are even going. Are our younger generations just growing up with uh, sub- subscriptions to streaming services? Will the, the thought of actually buying individual uh, albums or songs maybe a generation from now? Well, I mean, go uh, away completely. You know, ten years ago we didn't have the you know streaming services that we do now, like Spotify and Apple Music. Um, and more and more people, including myself, are getting very used to and comfortable with the idea of just paying a monthly fee and you know treating it like their cable bill or their internet bill their and getting bill. their phone bill and getting all the music that they want um so is that the future it's what the industry seems to think is the future um but will that be the future that consumers give them 
because you know they for a long time you know cd sales were the bread and butter of everything and they made tons and tons of money off of that and then suddenly we had that whole internet thing happen so who knows what the future will hold and if we actually knew then we'd all be fortune tellers measuring a hit nowadays seems more confusing to figure out than in the past in the 80s if you were into the 90s if you were measuring a hit song it was uh, song sales and radio airplay up until very recently uh, all our album charts were just based on pure sales now there's so many ways you can look at a hit a song could completely uh, not be a hit of radio but it could have millions of youtube views so something can be a hit a different way silvio especially you've seen over the years the definition of a hit probably change again as we were saying more than ever in in the streaming era what makes a hit you know has changed i think ultimately you know a hit becomes something that you know is in the public consciousness reaches the mainstream most people are familiar with it and most is i know that's you know it's not the majority but you know a good a good amount of music fans know what it is uh but what, yeah, and, and going back to what I said earlier, you know, we've always uh, Billboard as a brand has always just tried to make sure that we're measuring the things that reflect that which is popular. So the one thing, and, and this goes, well, you know, I could throw it to Keith in terms of the album chart, which was our most recent, you know, big change of changing our, the album chart from pure sales to music consumption, was that you know we had a chart of album popularity that only measured the the initial impulse of a purchase. So you bought an album. Thank you for voting. You know, we'll, we'll get you next time you buy another album. Now, you we get to, to measure engagement with product from that album, with titles from that album. I've purchased many albums that I listened to once or twice and ones I like that I listened to dozens, you know, hundreds of times. And we had no way of knowing that in the past, right? So... You know, now we are, are getting not only that initial impulse in sales, but we're also getting the continued interaction with the product. And that's exciting. I mean, that's and you can see you can see how the chart has changed since then. It's, you know, uh, if you had a strong first week and you sold 500,000 copies and your fan base was a million, you know, you might reach that plateau in, in a few weeks or a few or a few months. But if you have an album that's continually generating hits and people are returning to to listen to. Now that album can you know stay in the top ten for you know many many weeks, and you saw that a lot in the eighties and nineties. A hit driven album stayed at the top of the chart. The methodology was obviously different then; it was a reporting system and not official measurement. But I, I think you know, thanks to technology we have today, and, and thanks to the immediacy of, of of product that's available digitally, you know, we're seeing the total picture of how popular songs and albums are uh, in the many ways that people can listen to them either on demand or you know still through radio which again to me is still you know the final stamp of approval on what becomes a hit or at least a long-lasting hit so it's it's uh, i think we're in the you know the best era we've ever been in accurately measuring music popularity absolutely Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. No matter what way you consume music or listen to music or experience music, we try to capture that. We try to track that. And if it was back in the 50s where you would, you know, plunk a couple coins into a jukebox and that's how people experience music at a diner, we would track that. We actually had a jukebox chart or, you know, what was being played on the radio or what you actually bought physically in the store. We tracked that. And that's what we tracked for years and years and years and decades and decades. And as the decades have passed, we have gotten better and more uh, exact with how we collect this data and just the granular data that we can have so we can really get a a finer point because we care so deeply about really showing America and the world like what are the most popular songs, artists, and albums in the United States. So, and that's great that, you know, we have our partnership with Nielsen and Nielsen Music and gives us sales information, airplay information that is so detailed. Um, And in addition to that, we also have tons and tons of streaming information and social information about, you know, who's popping on Twitter and who's on SoundCloud and who's doing well you know, on Facebook, like, I mean, just things that, you know, so many different ways that people can, you know, experience music. And Billboard is always trying to capture that. And we're constantly trying to find new ways of capturing that as we move forward. And I'm sure in a year or two from now, there will be some, a couple new different ways that we will be incorporating music experience and music consumption into our charts. So, no, I was thinking that too, how, uh, even recently, we oh, the mannequin challenge or all these uh, dances, the viral, memes, the viral memes yeah. that have been helping songs in recent years. It's really not that much different from the '60s when you had the dances, twist. the twist, and, and the locomotion the, songs the, about dances. It's the, just the way it's consumed now that's different. It's it's. I mean, for it, it is interesting, you know, when you have like this sort of there's there's the knee jerk reaction of like oh, Black Beatles, you know, ooh, viral hit, mm, and there's a sort of like old man like get off my yard mentality about oh what's this how is this number one i'm like you know what i have the feeling that adults probably felt the same way about the first time the twist hit number one right and then when the twist went back to number one when the adults discovered it a year or two later yeah I, you know i think just you know it's every you know it's just like the dance crazes the twist and the the peppermint twist and the other variations of the twist and, Gar- and gary's macarena yeah, the Macarena. Yes, I'm doing it right now. No one, <laughs> no one can see it. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, new charts. Are we looking nope, at Nope, we've got any? none. We're done? We're done. That's it? Our job here is through. Uh we're working on charts, uh, many other charts. You know, we have the, like I just mentioned, the album consumption chart, uh, which brings streams and tracks sales from albums as part of a formula for, for the top albums. We, we're, we're going to do that for the various genres soon. It should be very early in the new year. 
So uh, that is coming. And that's when we add uh, – when you change charts from just sales-based to consumption-based, we're adding streaming. Streaming equivalent and track units sales. and track equivalent units. And Keith, you can uh, run through the mechanisms of that. It's public knowledge. Uh, yeah. Um, on the Billboard 200, uh, one album sale equals one unit. So if you purchase an album from any of the normal retailers you purchase an album from, from iTunes to Amazon to Walmart to Target, that counts as one unit. If 1,500 streams of songs from an album are played during the week, that counts as one streaming unit. If 10 tracks are purchased from an album, any of the 10 songs in any configuration, that counts as one unit. At the end of the week, we compile all this and we say, oh, number one this week is with so many hundreds of thousands of units is so-and-so. Of that sum, so many of those were in traditional album sales. Sometimes there could be a huge difference. Like Drake's Fuse has like, you know, was number one for a very long time because of its power on streaming services. And it didn't sell as many albums as the weeks, you know, went by. But then sometimes you have albums that are overwhelmingly powered by traditional album sales. And someone asked, um, noticing how streaming may be more for younger artists does the streaming hurt older artists and does that come into play when you think about changing charts to be more streaming based no i I don't think you can say it hurts older artists i mean there's so many factors at at play at this i I think uh the fact that i think you can say the opposite not having this kind of activity measured for the chart doesn't properly reflect the activity that's happening around the hit driven artists Right, so right. you know what is more popular as I'm, you know, the weekend album that might sell, you know, three hundred thousand uh, albums in its first week, and then drops down to a hundred thousand two weeks ago again because the initial surge was there and, and it's a more passionate, you know, younger fan base going out and or an older artist that'll sell a uh, hundred thousand and you know end up at number one the week two or hundred fifty thousand end up at week two because. You know, that big hit driven album had its big surge the week before. So I think having these other pieces in, you know, helps uh, avoid some of these big up and down uh, trajectories that we see sometimes on, on the charts. I think you have to think of it less in terms of um, a chart hurting someone. Um, Billboard's job is not to um, hurt <laughs> a demographic or an age group on the charts. Um, though, obviously, you know, when we look at the charts, we, we care about how um, certain artists are represented. And we want to make sure that everyone is sort of correctly represented, especially on a chart like the Billboard 200 or like the Hot 100, which is a blended chart. You know, we blend data together to come up with the correct formula that makes the right amount of sense within the industry. Um, and I think for a couple of years there, for a, kind of a while, people got used to the idea of seeing um, sort of heritage acts, so to speak who would sell a lot of albums debut very high on the Billboard 200 because you didn't need to sell a whole lot of albums to be high on the Billboard 200 because the album sales market became very depressed. And we needed to address that and fix that. And so on the Billboard 200, we incorporated tracks and streams to, frankly, bring the Billboard 200 back to what it should have been representing all along. So I think people just got used to the idea of like, look, this really old metal band is like number two this week. It's their highest charting album ever. Uh, yeah. It's, and then it, next week it'd be 15. And then next week it falls, you know. So I I get what that person is saying or what those folks are saying, um, but it was really just to try to bring the Billboard 200 back in line, what was sort of the reality of the industry. And, yeah, so, and we're not hiding that data, right? You know, no. So for the Hot 100, we, you know, we have 
a separate streaming chart of the data that makes that goes into the Hot 100. We have a sales chart and we have an airplay chart for the albums. We still have a top album sales chart. So, you know, and we still trump at the fact if someone is number one on that chart and might not be on the Billboard 200. So, you know, we don't we don't and that we have way too many charts, way a, a big array of charts. But we do that because there's a place for all of this. People, you know, there's a there's a place, there's a place for, for us. us. There's genres that we need to represent no matter how small or large because they're important to you know, people who make music and we we want them to feel inclu- you know, we want to be inclusive of all of that. So, um, you know, we we still want to represent data as many different ways as possible, but we have our 10 poll charts and that's, you know, the Hot 100 and Billboard 200. And it isn't just uh, Silvio sitting in his office deciding what the industry needs. We talk to people in no, the industry, no, no. and it's all we reflected. Consult, we consult with, with the industry incredibly methodically over a very long amount of time um, to make sure that we reach a consensus that makes sense for you know uh, this, these specific you know especially the Billboard 200. Um, that was a long process to make sure that we arrived at the right formula. Um, because it was such a big, big change. And, yeah, I, I do have a ton of conversations both internally and externally on this. And, you know, for those listening, you know, Billboard, you know, serves the industry, but we also serve the music fans and consumers. And it's in, in, totally important to us that we present charts that are in line with what our music fans, our chart fans want to see and also that is reflective of their taste so uh there have been many decisions made which we which are, we are leading the conversation in favor of doing things that present our charts the best way publicly and that might not always be in line with what the industry wants um so it's a tough line to straddle sometimes but it's it's uh something we need to do because yeah we, you know we just you know, we just don't follow what the industry needs. And and in terms of the album consumption chart, there were some, you know, some rules applied on, on our side in the U.S. Uh, that were different than how some countries overseas were doing it. And, you know, there was talk at one point of trying to all be in line with each other. And, you know, it, it wasn't the right thing for for Billboard to, to do something, uh, you know, for the sake of how other countries were doing it. We just wanted to do something for our brand and for our readers and for the industry that we serve here in the U.S. Uh, you know, but as a, glo- a global brand, you know, we work with the various data partners. We have billboard charts in other territories that we uh, work with and that I've helped create charts. We have a Hot 100 in Japan, for example. So uh, every territory is different. And, you know, we try to operate in favor of uh, the music fans and the industry in each of those. People wonder about, we had a K-pop chart for a while. It was on the website. Yes. K-pop has become so huge. We don't have a K-pop chart now. We don't have a K-pop chart right now. Uh, but we are working towards uh, bringing that back. A lot of our international base charts, you know, the Japan Hot 100 and the K-pop chart when we had it, are built uh, in, in, uh, in conjunction with a licensee in that territory who the, know the industry. The, the K-pop chart also... I want to refresh my memory. The K-pop yes. chart was really just like a top 100 for South Korea, right? It was like they're just mo- right. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good point. It wasn't the popularity of K-pop in the United States. It yeah, was, it, it, it was a right. a chart based on just like the top 100 songs in South Korea. Correct. So it wasn't actually about the genre of K-pop, but there, was, although there was a lot. Of there was K-pop. a lot of K-pop on it. Yeah, they, I mean, they they the chart was geared towards that 
those kinds of titles in that territory anyway. They but, had their own rules for right, this exactly. Yeah. So to that point, it's we work with local uh, licensees in each of those territories to build proper charts uh, reflective of of that country and. The uh, partners we had at the time, you know, are no longer our partners, and we're looking at other options. So hopefully, we can revive that in a better way soon. I would say this for for me. I think it's true for you guys. Probably the same thing. All this change really keeps everything fun because a whole new uh, type of consumption could come along. I think that change is what keeps keeps us fresh with with all this overload of data. Music's always been a passion. The charts have always been a passion. Uh, it, it, it's excited me more in my current role that I can, that I spend a lot of time trying to build new ideas and, and, and new data partnerships and, and new opportunities for Billboard uh, to expand how we measure uh, music popularity. It's, I mean, the past, like I said, the past five years has just been you know crazy. The past year has even been you know madness. But it, it's fun. That's what makes it fun. The where where it became difficult was when we were just doing the same thing every week. When it was just Monday radio charts, right? You know, sales charts, you know, rinse repeat. So there's there's still you know, still that there, obviously. But myself and every and Keith and Gary and other members of the department. I mean, each week they're being challenged, you know, by myself and and just the industry as a whole to try to continue to innovate and move forward and and provide the data that we do in, in a new and fresh way and whether that's editorially or data driven wise it's it's all of that so it's 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 we have some great meetings each week and you know we sit down and just talk about things that we've learned uh, talking to people in the industry reading the email uh, looking at comments on the website and and we notice something every week that that surprises us on 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 how hits become hits, how people are 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 interacting with music and, and their artists that they like. So it's 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 the freshness now that makes it exciting and the the great unknown of where we're going. And I think we all like how music means so much to people. It may sound cheesy. It's really an honor to present this information to people it makes people happier to know what's going on in music that's that's a good thing this is why we take our jobs so seriously and why we people listening we agonize over things that may seem like minutia but to us like we want to make sure i I, that you know if you're only a handful of copies away or you're you know we want to make sure that like if we know it matters to people that if you're on the chart, we want to make sure that we have the data correct. We want to make sure that you're properly represented because we care so deeply about the charts. And we know that artists do and fans do and the industry does. And so we take our jobs incredibly seriously. Um, and uh, we also think it's also a fun job to have, too. I mean, it's a nice it's a nice combination of it's an important job, but it's also very fun at the same time. Yes, it's uh, it's fun. <laughs> Who's your favorite uh, meet and greet you've ever had, Sylvia, with an artist? Personally, you know, the... It was a recent one, too. It was just in January this year. I got to meet my favorite artist of all time, and that's Billy Joel. Wow. Uh, and it was a, it was really just like eight, eight people backstage. Were so, you just like sweating like a madman before you got to meet him and like nervous? I was, yeah, I was, I was not, not overly nervous, but a certain amount of tenseness, which I don't get yeah. anywhere else, you know, with any other artist. So uh, it was good because, you know, the first time you meet somebody you really, really like, and I'm sure you know any fan out there that wants to meet their artist, you don't want that to be 
a disappointment and you mm-hmm. don't want to say something it, stupid 30 and, seconds could undo yeah 30 years you know yeah, you could practice a line that you want to say to them and it's never going to come out right and you know i had that sort of uh fear but it, it turned out well and and we did get to talk a little bit and and, and it was fun so yeah that was that was great i mean there, there are a ton of artists out there and and for the fans who get the opportunity to you know, to, to meet their artists, it's, it's always a special occasion. Yeah. Happy New Year. Thank you both. Have a great holiday, everybody. Yeah. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.